Cargo Cult is a production of Radio Nemo West. Cargo Cult is all about the movies, books, music, and moments that help shape the lifestyle of not only the trucking industry, but also the American obsession with being on the move. What if something just like jumps out in front of you and you have to stop? Don't. What was that? A Mazda. Host Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn engage in a wild, free-form discussion with folks from both the transportation and entertainment worlds. I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a show that's all about the journey. So far, we're doing fine. Hadn't got caught. And now your hosts, Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn. We haven't done this in a while, have we? We had that pesky holiday or two in between, both Christmas and New Year's. So, yeah, this is our first time back. And for me, it was like a three-part harmony. Um, I went, um, and each is kind of on top of each other. That's why I use the word harmony and not like a series of sequels. I went from Maine into Washington, D.C., and then back home to New Orleans before finally returning to Santa Clarita. I actually did something really nice for Christmas that I wanted to share with you. We we talked about it a little bit. Um, I've gotten more into experiences rather than gifts. Yeah, yeah. He, my brother and I talked about this a lot over the holiday. <laughs> you know, send me to the movies rather than, you know, give me a DVD. So when my wife arrived in New Orleans, and I hadn't seen her for like 19 days, when my wife finally arrived in New Orleans and I picked her up from the airport in a red Jeep, she was like, what in the hell? <laughs> How much did I'm, I'm this I'm trying cost? to imagine you driving something How much? Like it was that, a right? great piece of yeah, machinery, sure. too. It was this red Jeep, and I picked her up, and I drove her down to the French Quarter uh, where I had an Airbnb. Because last Christmas, not the one we're currently in, last Christmas, along with getting carjacked, we were pretty much stuck at our parents' homes. Sure. And right, I have right. to tell you, for it's me— It's just a ticking time bomb. Well, well, here's the thing. My <laughs> wife is in her late 30s, moving into 40s. I'm in my 50s, so staying with my parents, it's really weird. Once you get past, like, 50, you start going, this is fine. Because they actually see you as older, and they haven't seen you in a while, so your dad talks to you like you're his friend, and your mom wants to get you things, and everything is fine. Everybody likes naps. The problem is, when you're in your 30s, especially since everybody started looking younger these days, is that parents look at their children in their 30s, and they think, oh, they're still my child, and that's what ends up happening. Right. Yeah. I, I have that also come up every once in a while. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I am going to brag on my wife here, who takes very good care of herself, and because she does, she still looks like she's in her 20s to a large degree and of course her parents treat her like she's in her teens so there you go so i decided this year that experiences over gifts would actually be a great way out of this nightmare not only did i get us a big red jeep rental car i also got us uh, a french quarter apartment through an airbnb i did it all through a christmas club talk about going old school wow yeah I actually, at the beginning of the year, after the disaster that was the previous year's Christmas, I decided to then go to my credit union and say, do you guys still have Christmas clubs? And she said, uh, I think her name was uh, Felita. She looked at me and she said, well, yes, we do. Yeah. Then she sashayed across the room in her bell bottoms. and <laughs> I mean, more or less. I mean, more or straight out of 1973. Right. I mean, she actually set up a Christmas club for sure. me where I saved money. I had money removed from my um, checking account and put into my Christmas club. Right. So when we arrived at Christmas, she's like, where did this money come from? And I said, I saved it. 
<laughs> Here's my little chat book of savings. Uh, it really was. I mean, right, it really right, was. Every right. time I'd go to back home in New Orleans, I would check on the Christmas account, and then I looked at the budget, and I said, this is the budget I'm going to have for the rental car and for the Airbnb and for the restaurants I will take her out to and for the experiences we will have. One of the other things that was really cool that happened, and it reminded me of this in regards to I was actually pleased to see somebody else that did it. There is a woman who does uh, PR for the trucking industry named Susan Fall. She lives down in uh, San Diego. She has two beautiful children, um, 16 and 18 or 17 and 19, right around that ballgame. And she wanted to give them experiences for Christmas rather than presents. So one of the things I did when I was away was I went to uh, Reeds Across America, which is the lane of uh, 2.1 million Reeds across the United States and on the shores of Normandy and a couple over in Canada every year to commemorate the fallen. The idea is to remember, honor, teach. Okay, And it's Great. a really emotionally moving experience. You go down there and what ends up happening is that uh, within like three to four hours, all of Arlington National Cemetery is covered in Christmas wreaths. Unreal. It is the most stunning thing. And it runs the gamut from people actually there for particular relatives to Girl Scout troops. Um, there mm. was a, a, a black fraternity from Georgia that came to honor its founding member who was buried in Arlington. Oh, wow. um, we got pictures of all of that. And we actually had a strange breakdown that happened as well. We lost our signal. So Lindsay and I had to set up headphones on our phones and call in our own studio. <laughs> it ended up saving the day because we had to walk the entire cemetery describing what we saw and taking and you can only take photos if the person gives you their permission number one and you can't do interviews it's arlington national cemetery sure we wanted to lay reefs we didn't have time to go to the trucks to get a wreath to lay the wreath to do the whole thing because we were broadcasting susan fall her two children beautiful ended up getting us our wreath along with susan they brought us the wreath and then we were able in front of uh the women's museum the women's military museum which is right at the front of arlington we're able to lay our wreaths across it and i said this was really remarkable your your children are wonderful she said yes she said i've always wanted to bring them to washington dc so we're doing that they wanted to be a part of this so we're doing this and then she said then we're going up to new york um, where we're going to see a show. There you we're go. going to eat at a restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to stay at a hotel. The whole You've been thing. of service. Now we need the entertainment. Now we need the entertainment. <laughs> and the last day there, Brad Bentley, who you got a chance to meet, who's the CEO of Fastport, Russell, who's here. Good morning, Russell. How are you? Good morning. It's wonderful to see everybody yeah, in by, this year. And by the way, you are uh, hearing, we are seeing, I'm seeing Justin Wellborn. I'm Jimmy Mack. Uh, Russell is with us. And uh, this is Cargo Cult. I know we usually talk about movies and moments and music that help shape the trucking industry, but we thought we'd catch up a little bit here. Sure. We're so, talking about moments. And, and we're talking about experiences, <laughs> many of which the trucking industry is very involved in. So Fastport CEO, you'll love this. this is because your experiences with Brad, you'll totally get this. He's found this great chili joint where they have like five to six different kind of chilies. They let you sample the different chilies from around the country to make a decision about what kind of food you want. Do you want chili dogs? Uh, do you want nachos? Do you want bowls of chili and all this kind of stuff? And they do this end of Reads Across America wrap up because the other really cool thing was we got a chance to give a $180,000 truck to the winner of the Transition Trucking Driving for Excellence. And it was the first woman that ever won. That's magnificent. And wow. she was a 16-year Army veteran who had been a drill instructor, uh, combat um, logistics specialist driving mm -hmm. in and out of Baghdad in Afghanistan and all that kind of stuff. She wanted to put in her 20 years as a military career. She left because her mom died. 
and she left to take over her trucking business. And the award goes to the veteran who makes the best transition from truck from the military and is in their first year up to 18 months of driving. Oh, wow. So she's a new driver. She's a new driver. Oh, that's cool. $180,000 wow. Kenworth truck. And 11 nominees all got a chance to go up to Washington, D.C. to do this. It was just... We have a photo of her four-year-old daughter, Olivia, at the split second they make the announcement that her mama has won. And I tell you, man, <laughs> you know, you can forget about red Jeeps and you can forget about Airbnbs. And you can even forget about the generosity of Susan Fall and her two children because in that moment, that's a moment. That's an experience. And um, so I had a great holiday season. Did um, she get a year supply of chili? Well, that, I, that, I, I mean, there I mean, was a lot of things. I, I figure with the truck. They kept bringing her stuff, though, right, man. Right, they kept right. bringing yeah, her yeah, stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's just one of those things that was neat about I'm just it. Making it she was the only non-carrier uh, that was nominated, and she was the, the winner, meaning that she won the popular vote, too. She wasn't mm-hmm. just picked by the committee. She was picked by the voters, which is crazy because a lot of these other guys, guys, all had their carriers and their fleets voting for them. Oh, wow. She is a remarkable wow. story, yeah. and we're hoping to see more of her as a, well, a future leader of America. I mean, when I tell you it was one of the great privileges I had in kind of nominating her, I mean, uh, interviewing her at the Chamber of Commerce, and it was a really great experience. We almost got a chance to go to the White House and do the ceremony. They, 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 they couldn't work it out. Uh, I got within inches of meeting fighting Joe. Very yeah. disappointing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very disappointing. I mean, I mean they, he probably just left his schedule in Delaware with some other important papers or I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm just I'm just spitballing that maybe that's what happened. So, yeah, I mean, so I got a chance to take a bad Christmas and retcon it into a good Christmas. That's fantastic, man. I'm, re- I'm really glad to hear that. I really did. How was yours? It was fantastic. I mean, last Christmas I had um, had a pretty major surgery and had been in the hospital for a while. So last Christmas I, I really had to kind of ask my parents this Christmas about what happened last Christmas because I was on a lot of painkillers and I was, you know, getting through my you know, post-surgical uh, era, as I like to think of it. And uh, so I was kind of catching up on what had happened the year before and this time was it's really good we also celebrate because my brother um you know he's got two families to to go and see during the holidays and get the kids all over the place and so we celebrated kind of on different days and we now what was a traditional like this is what we do on christmas eve this is what we do on christmas it's no longer that, you know. Wow. While we are the adults, uh, we're still the children, but at the same time, we kind of dictate the scheduling. So my brother actually leaves on Christmas Eve to start heading out to Alabama from the, you know, from the um, shores of South Carolina to go see his other family, but so that the kids can wake up on Christmas Day with presents out and a Christmas tree and all those things, which you know, we kind of trade it off. We just have to make. It all work, you know, like, okay, well, today we're going to do this. We're going to do a little bit of that. The only thing that we kind of have that's traditional now is that we have one good, big, not formal meal, but like this is the meal. This is we, we all eat together throughout the whole holiday, but this is the one that's the special meal. That seems to be the one that's kept up. And that's really nice. Um my mom also, throughout my entire life, has been a huge <laughs> holiday fan. She was a teacher every single holiday, St. Patrick's Day, Halloween. You and me. Arbor Day, you and me, brother. Decorations everywhere you of and everything. Me, man. So every time I go there for Christmas, and my mom's a classy lady, man. The stuff that she has up is 
awesome. Right, right. And she's even at this moment, like, kind of going around and like, well, you know, Justin, you should have this and this. I'm going to mail that to you so that your, you know, your place in L.A. will have a little Christmas. This Christmas in L.A., I bought, like, a wreath, put it on the door, and that was like, that's Christmas, man. That's what I had. But, man, Mom isn't hearing of it. She's like, I'm sending you a tree next year. I'm sending you this decorative Santa Claus from Switzerland that I got. You know, you you need these things. You need to put things up your for the mom holiday, and my, you know? I forgot about that connection that your mom and my mom had. Did your mom have the closet underneath the stairs or in some location where you don't know how she managed to pack all of that really cra- classy holiday stuff? Oh, my God. Uh, uh, they have secret bolt holes in every house we've ever been that somehow the holiday decorations, and it can take days, or at least it seemed to before that, like, things would come out in bolts. Go get the bolt of snow. <laughs> You're like, oh, God, where is that? You know, the laying fall moment. The fall moment for me is always the best one, where my mom would religiously watch the uh, Weather Channel um, mm-hmm. right around uh, mid-October, which is when the weather used to turn before things like used to turn, <laughs> like in November. The weather used to before turn. Before the, the Cobra weather ray seems to have just inundated the planet Earth. So yeah. my mom would literally wake up early in the morning when cable was just started to watch the Weather Channel, the local on the 8s, and she would see like, you know, 85, uh, 74, 85, 74, 85, 74, and then she'd like, wait a minute, she'd see a number in there and it'd be like 75, 61, 75, 61, 68, 54. And that's when she decided that's when the decorations But what would happen was you, you would be looking at the television <laughs> and you'd see that number and you would look at it and then you'd turn around and the whole house would be decorated with a ball. <laughs> And you know exactly what I'm talking <laughs> exactly. about. It's you know exactly what you talk about. Okay, so Thanksgiving hit, <laughs> barreling into Christmas, right? By the way, I have a thing that I wanted oh, to wow. share with you about uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas and the war on Christmas. I will say that the war on Christmas will end when Christmas recognizes Thanksgiving's <laughs> right to exist. <laughs> independently on its own without yeah. interference although Thanksgiving has always had that Santa Claus right at the end of the parade well, so it's, it's fu- always just like at the end hey the star has arrived this is the season that's fine. opener you that's know? fine it's right, fine if right, Thanksgiving right. is a pregame for Black Friday it's not fine <laughs> if the day before Thanksgiving is a pregame for the day before <sighs> you know Black Friday. Yeah. And that's yeah. a problem. That's why we got to hold on to Halloween. It's a big thing for me. We got to hold on to Halloween because it's the firewall. If that I firewall collapses, agree. it makes a it makes a pincer maneuver into July, Christmas in July, <laughs> and then we have Christmas all year long and there's no anticipation and that makes me sick at my heart. At least in my uh in my world of movies and horror and comic books and all these things, what I've noticed is this and and, and it kind of hurts my heart too and I it, it, it's fun to love Halloween. But Halloween year-round is one of these things that just takes a bit of the special out of it for me. You can love horror. You can love the things that go with it. But specifically Halloween, just even through the summer, I mean, I love that people are getting excited for it. But when it's Halloween year-round, and I hear a lot of people throw that out online, and, you know, it just... Stop. Enough, guys. Stop. It's like the reason why New Orleans means have Mardi Gras so we can have Lent, so we can actually have a a 47-day break before we get to Easter. Reset. And by the way, Terry right. Taylor, um, who we just adore, uh, 1313 Mockingbird Toys, every time he comes on Dave Nemo Weekends, he has horror movies for every season. God Great. bless him. Great. God bless him. Yeah, and that sure. is a terrific thing. I want to take a moment here because Russ is with us. We want to catch up with him. We got a chance. Uh, if you guys are just, um, you know, don't know where we're at, we actually.
like you said at the beginning, this is the first episode of the new year of Cargo Cult, the movies, moments, and magic that make up both the trucking industry and the American urge and need to kind of get out there and see what's out on the highways. Hey, Russ, how you doing, man? Not too bad, my friend. Not too bad. How, how are you? How was your? I'm good. Um, how was your um vacation? I mean, we didn't. We haven't. I, I'm seeing you for the first time, and uh, you know, we've been talking on the on the phones and yeah. on the new technologies and the liquid tubinologies and all that stuff. But well, the viewers at home can't tell, but I stopped shaving several months ago. Tanfastic, so, by the way. <laughs> literally <laughs> looks like Beast Man yes. from He Man. I'm letting so, it go. I'm yeah. letting it go. Um, yeah, which brings me to um, after a little while I start to look like a rabbi. Which brings me to, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, us Jew folk, you know, we, we do celebrate the season as well. You um, invented it. Well, you and Charles Dickens. Hey, listen, I mean, heck, half the songs people sing at Christmas. That's thank true. You. Thank you from yeah. all the Catholics out You're there. You're welcome. From all yeah. the Irish Catholics out there. Thank you. We'll take care of the charm. You take care of the music. There so, you go. So you'll love this. First of all, um, <laughs> Christmas, uh, I uh, took an old New York tradition. I went out and I found a Chinese restaurant in the valley that go. had the ducks hanging. Yeah, got to do the duck thing. Nice. So that was that was the food we ate Christmas. Cool. Uh, and then on New Year's, I DJ'd a wedding in a private. Um, I guess you can call it palace. Wow. Uh, a house so big that the parents were roller skating at the party in their own house. So that's nice, right? That is some L.A. party, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that happened. We'll be roller I'm skating so in the glad house. my Christmas was awesome, because if it hadn't been, I'd be so jealous right, right. now. <laughs> but what I will tell you, uh, speaking of uh, Jewish and Irish Catholics, so my mother married an Irish Catholic. My, how my how much guilt? How much guilt so gets much. laid on you? Okay, you, me? you know the old joke is how many whole Jew- different directions. How many Jewish know? grandmothers did take the change of light bulb? Oh no, that's okay. Uh, you go have <laughs> I'll fun. Do- I'll yeah, sit here in the dark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so my mother also shares something with your parents. Um, she was always that tacky holiday decorator, right? So we have so much stuff. And then she married Bob. Bob McDonough, salt of the earth, love him, my my dad of dads. And sure enough, we now have Hanukkah, Christmas in the same house with somehow it's the combination of the two decorations like 10 times as much. And when that, when the <laughs> Where weather they changes, live? Where do they live? They're in Florida now. Okay, so let me get this straight. So they have taken... Uh, New York and moved it to Florida literally because if you actually mix Jewish uh, Hanukkah stuff with um, Catholic Christmas stuff, essentially you've got the city of New York at Christmas time. Absolutely. 100%. (laughs) And they were on Long Island before Florida too. So it's a huge thing. Lots of decorations. (laughs) You can't get around that house in December. You you got to you got to climb in through the windows. It's ridiculous. Yeah, the kids kept colliding into Santa Clauses the entire time. You know, I slipping on fake snow. I mean, they ran into the Christmas tree at least twice. You know, so I do have something fun you reminded me of that I wanted to share with you guys. Speaking of experiences, so we do have a thing in my family because our family is so big. I'm one of 32 grandchildren on my mom's side, and all of those grandchildren now have families and children as well. We used to, every year, um, my Uncle Jimmy, who's a judge, would have this big party, not only for the family members, but every, I mean, it's a lot of people putting the arm on people, you know what I'm saying, Justin? It was like, a, it was a political junkies action party, you know right. what I'm saying? It was just like, it was the place to be, great spread, the whole enchilada, the burrito on the side, and some corned beef and cabbage, too, for all the peeps. This year, they didn't do it. Uh, this year, people are just getting older, and they tried it at my um, 
cousin's house a couple of years ago. COVID put an end to it. Mm-hmm. They're reconfiguring right now. Everybody's trying to figure out what's next. Like you said, there was all these kind of set traditions that have gone away. My mom and dad thought it would be fun uh, just to have their immediate yeah. family over on Christmas Eve and maybe do something in sort of tradition. Well, I'm obsessed with starting traditions. I like the idea of being on the ground floor for something good. <laughs> so I went a little crazy and I thought, well, what am I going to do for my parents for Christmas? Once again, experiences over gifts. Um, I'm really proud of this. I bought the Christmas party. Um, Claire and I bought it, and we did the whole spread for it, and it was a lot of fun. Um, what was really fun, though, is a couple people that you know, Adriana, um, along with uh, remember Margot Fanning, just some people that Justin knows. I'm just throwing some names that you guys don't know, but just friends of ours. I said, well, I'm going to invite some friends, too. Ended up being a blast. And so I talked to Dave Nemo, and I talked to my parents, and it looks like we're going to start a big traditional party that I'm inviting all of you guys. If you decide to come to New Orleans for Christmas Eve, we're going to have the brawl to drink it all. <laughs> of course, I won't be doing that, but I will watch you all drink it all and smoke about three cigars over the course of the evening. So I actually think I may have put in the foundation. If that's not an invite, I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. I am going to put down a foundation for uh, a secular sort of jihad Christmas party. You know what I'm saying? The idea that was a secular jihad. You like that? Uh, I'm not you sure like if that? I do That's yet. my new I'm rock gonna, band. I'm going to have to mull that one over a little bit. <laughs> but what we've all done in a lot of ways and what I'm listening to all you guys talk about, and this kind of fits in with where cargo cults is going to be headed in the near future is we really did. I mean, I read Con the previous Christmas. Your family is beginning to figure out new strategies for Christmas, Justin. Um, I know you are as well, Rush. You have some traditions, but it seems like they're morphing and shifting. And all of that, in a lot of ways, is something that we're going to be kind of trying and experimenting with as we um, head into this new year of Cargo Cult, uh, which you can find on the SiriusXM app um, if you're you know, a listener to uh, SiriusXM 146 Road Dog Trucking. So I kind of want to throw this out here. Here in the last few minutes, um, and then we'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll kind of chat some more. I would like to retcon this show to some degree without changing the show entirely. Cargo Cult 23. It's like Jason X. You know, throw that throw that thing into space and see what happens. Here, cargo right? Cult 23, Cargo <laughs> Cult 1973. So in 1973, uh, a couple of people were born. Um, do you know one of them, Justin? Well, on a Sunday, as the sun did rise, a son was born. And hey, <laughs> it was me. Yeah. So, yeah, that 1973, man. Um, you know, the, I, I remember a long time ago in a mall, like, you know, this is before the Internet, when they would print out things that happened the year that you were born. And as a kid, you're really excited about these things. And... The list I got was really boring as a kid. Like, Sparrow Agnew was relieved of his office. And I was like, who is that? You know, I had to go and ask the parents what it was. But now that we've done a little bit of research on, like, what happened that year, I mean, what an amazing year for movies, man. What an amazing year for just original artistry to really come out. And, I mean, we're looking at 50 years, half of 100, man. These things have some longevity to it, not just me having longevity, but, you know, the work that came out at the time. You know, it's interesting. I sent you a list of uh, about 30 movies, about 35 movies uh, that came out in 1973. And I wasn't scraping the bottom of the barrel to get to 
There's some other solid little films that come out then too, but there are 35 movies that are really worth looking at. Uh, two in particular that are black exploitation movies in a year that is an extraordinary year for black exploitation films. Uh, it's a great year for record albums as well. There are two in particular I'm thinking of: uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, Dark Side of the Moon, and Dark maybe. Side of the Moon. Wolf. And, I mean, you know, usually either one of those albums becomes the dominating album of the year. And in that case, you get two albums that are not only great for their time, right. but great for all time. For all time. For all man. time. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, two yeah. Moves, I remember uh, being a young teenager and hearing Dark Side of the Moon for the first time before weed. <laughs> and the idea that you're like, what's happening to my little brain? I mean, it's it was transformative. I mean, there is so much kind of uh, wonderful and interesting stuff that happens in 1973 that effects are still being felt to this very day. Sure. And so one of the things we're going to do is we're going to break the membrane. We're not just going to live in 1973, but the other thing I'd really hope we can accomplish over the course of this new year is to not only look at those movies, that music, some great novels too, by the way. Do you notice uh, Mr. Vonnegut has a book that's... Breakfast uh, of Champions yeah. is one of my very favorite books. Well I, uh, you know, I, I don't read many things twice, but I've read that one at least three or four yeah, times. Yeah, Thomas yeah. Pynchon uh, cranks out a book that's, Gravity's uh, Rainbow. That, yeah. that's, that's well worth reading, and a whole bunch of other stuff, historical moments as well. And I know you're not the biggest uh, sports ball fan, uh, but I'm a big, big college football fan. And at the end of the year, on December 31st in the city of New Orleans, one of the greatest football games of all time happened. The first time meeting between the University of Notre Dame, which had to be talked into going to the Sugar Bowl when its players wanted to go to the Orange Bowl, number three Notre Dame would face number one Alabama on national television wow. Christmas Eve night in a game that anyone who saw it couldn't believe it happened where Ara Parsegian, the head coach of the Fighting Irish, redeemed himself after having played for a tie in 66. He played for a gambling gutsy win in 73. And Bear Bryant, the legendary coach right. of the Alabama Crimson Tide. I mean, tied, the, the, the hierophant of that program. And right? he openly point blanks. And this was right after Bryant had like any great artist, like a great, it's a great story too. Bryant, who had fallen on some harder times, had only won six games in both seasons back to back, literally gets on a plane and reinvents himself and comes back a brand new coach huh. and would lose only like seven games over the next decade. He actually has a great line about that game that we'll probably talk about at some point down the course of the year. One of my favorite, we didn't lose, we ran out of time. Hmm. And if you watch that game, it is that exciting. 1973. That's almost 50 years ago, and I have definitely kept track of that because, well, 1973 was the year that I was born, so rapidly ascending and or descending towards the age of 50. Now, you know, some of you have already hit it. Some of you are far away from it, but at the same time, it was an amazing year for films. And we're going to talk about some of those today on Cargo Call. My name is Justin Wellborn, and I'm here with my great one and only friend and co-host, Jimmy Mack. How are you doing, brother? I am uh, really good. You're right. It is. Uh, and we put together a list. Um, I sent you a list by email and actually took the time to write little blurbs for it. Oh, and yeah. Also... And, and with a, a, a heading that said, say these things exactly. No, don't do I'm that. I'm kidding. Please yeah, don't yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah. And... Never do him verbatim unless it's a play that you And wrote. I got to tell you, it was a pain, it was a pain in the <laughs> Took us, by the way, to figure out when the release dates of some of these were. Some of them were easy to find, but in the case of one film that actually made its premiere in France and doesn't come out in the United States until 74, 
But given the fact that it has a sequel that comes out in 74, I was willing to push it into 73 because it's one of my favorite swashbuckling movies of all time. Uh, the Three Musketeers. Yeah, of Richard course. Lester's right, right, right. remarkable uh, Three Musketeers <laughs> that actually was made as one movie and then split into two different films uh, is one of these movies on the list. And by the way, if you watch uh, The Three Musketeers, which came out in 73 in France in December, if you watch it, Justin, it is – they're so proud. I Every, just watched it just a few months ago. Everyone yeah. involved with that movie is so ridiculously proud that none of the sword fights have been sped up. Yeah, totally. That they're I, I all mean, real. Uh, I just could watch Oliver Reed, Reed play with such vigorous integrity. You can tell that he's just kind of at the prime of his ability to be both a, a hero villain. You know, he, he's a villainous hero in the thing. And it's just really one. And to watch Faye Dunaway kill that thing. And then, you know, there's, there's Michael York just being lovely. You know, he's just kind of guileless and wonderful and you know you're like hey d'artagnan <laughs> there's a reason you're the hero i will tell you this there are a few moments in film more galvanizing than me when michael york is surrounded by the king's guards or richelieu's guards right right, right. sure sure are. the cardinal and they're closing in oh charlton heston is the cardinal sure. who, who should be a total misfire as casting <laughs> ends up being great, great. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. they're closing in on him he's all alone and then the three musketeers come racing out in that music that stirring goofy wonderful my other favorite line from that movie is how old are these orders how old is this uh, this uh missive Three days, sir. Well, then we must bustle, sir. I just love it. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, because we're going to be covering a lot of 1973 and then breaking the membrane to kind of take 73 forward to talk about the impact that these movies, these albums, these books, this world have on the present day, along with giving you guys some pretty fun information about trucking as well. I mean, I guess it's a retrospective on, well, half a century, 50 years. It's a significant middle point, you know, for so these I was, things. I was going to ask you, and I'm going to ask Russ, uh, who's with us as well, I was going to ask you what two movies uh, on this amazing list, uh, and we'll go through the list uh, probably in a later episode as we kind of set up this whole thing when we get to the first of these movies, but what two films from 1973 are you really looking forward to talking about? Well, I'm going to dig right to the movie that scared me the most uh, when I first saw it, The Exorcist. I mean, coming out you know, in December, uh, right there <laughs> the day after Christmas is just, you're just sticking it to them, you know? And, and, and we're also, I mean... I want to talk about this, too, because uh, having done Justified, I worked with a great DP named Eric Roitzman, and uh, his father, Owen Roitzman, was the director of photographer for um, for The Exorcist. And, and he great, just did passed. He, he shot French Connection, too, didn't he? And boy, that movie... Maybe. Um, but I got to tell he you. He shot Tootsie. He shot so but many I have to amazing tell you, movies. But uh, Friedkin's uh, shooting skill of making things look like a documentary sure. is just uh, in his early career is unparalleled. Right, I right, mean, right. it really the opening of French Connection, the opening of uh, The Exorcist. Well, the the shot that we all know of the Exorcist pulling of the actual Exorcist in the movie pulling up to the house, getting out of the car and standing under the lamp that took two days to light. That is Owen Roitzman's just absolute brilliance. I mean, having a window that has curtains in front of it and a specific light that's firing through and lights up at the time. It's just so powerful and uh, and, and a real credit to, to everybody that worked on that film. So I want to talk about The Exorcist a little bit and Papillon. 
I mean, here it is. It's Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman, and I just love a good escape movie. Just just against all odds, doing what you can. And the, the crazy part, of course, is that <laughs> they hardly ever escape. They're almost caught throughout the whole thing. But I have watched both of those movies, I, I'd say, easily a dozen times. Um, you know, read both the books. One of the scariest books out there. It came out two years before, I believe. Um, but it really is one of the scariest horror books that – I've ever read, you know, it, it really, and, and for the book and the movie to both be things that just kind of scar you. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's powerful. Well, and the other thing is too, is that you also seen in Papillon, one of the great contrasting acting styles of all time, where you have two actors at the absolute top of their form. Sure. One is completely outside in and the other one is inside out. Yeah. As an actor. I mean, a movie star and then somebody that just doesn't mind underplaying who they are. To you know, absolutely bury themselves in character so that this this other person can seem like the strong man. You know? In many ways, it has a certain kind of bizarre echo in Carlito's way. Sure. Where you have like an actor who is just literally playing Shouty Al and playing it well. <laughs> and an actor in Sean Penn who is utterly disappearing into the oh, role. He's so good um, in that, that role in Carlito's way as the lawyer. But, but that's the... the kind of stuff we're going to – what we just did is we we're going to kind of try to do to show you how a lot of these films set sort of precedence. And I mean The Exorcist, of course is literally there's no conjuring without the pre, uh, precedent of the exorcist um, there are so many things that actually the are... entire idea of, of of the possession movie the idea of what and, and still to this day I know people that when they talk about that movie they go it it ruined me as a kid <laughs> you know as a teenager I couldn't watch that movie again for years and it, it's just something that sets up an entire genre of movies well the other thing is too is that I also probably want to although of... Rosemary's Baby is probably like that but it, it, that's Rosemary... sort of the body horror of it's inside of you and you know well, the, rosemary's the, baby actually has as much of a of a uh midsummer owes as much of a debt to rosemary's baby sure. as it does to the wicker man which yeah. by the oh, way is another one of the, one of the that movies that came, that came out, out that year but the idea know? what i call sunshine horror um and and rosemary's sure. baby yeah, yeah, yeah. actually Get christopher lee shouting in front of a burning wicker man with somebody inside but, you know? but i mean basically you make case of the wicker man is the darkest version of a pastoral comedy you could possibly make and rosemary's baby is the darkest version of a bedroom comedy you could possibly make oh wow that's a good point yeah, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's and it's right. but what but what the Exorcist does is that it lives in a dark palette. It lives yeah. in a dark, in a yeah. gothic dark palette. But I'm going to push back on a number of the critics and a number of the hipsters that I've seen in documentaries um, recently who have talked about the kind of grimness of The Exorcist. I think The Exorcist is an incredibly life-affirming movie, is a movie of incredible faith and decency. I think the decency of Max von Sydow, Jason Miller, who is great as Father Karras and one of the great American playwrights. People don't sure. know yeah, he yeah, wrote yeah. that championship season. Um Lee J. Cobb is terrific as Lieutenant Kitterman. Ellen Burstyn radiates goodness even when William Friedkin fires pistols behind her to get reactions <laughs> on camera. All kinds of great stuff. We'll talk about that movie. Can I tell you the two movies I'm most excited about on this list? I'm ready for uh, it. The first of which is I'll, I'll go in reverse order. Um, second on my list is Magnum Force. Clint which Eastwood, is baby. you know directed by I think Ted Yost I think uh, who also directed another Clint Eastwood movie that year maybe only one but he also did what is it High Plains Drifter yeah which yeah, is yeah. also in that year what would a good year Clint had huh wow. Magnum Force yeah. and High Plains Drifter I mean at the top creating a character that everybody will remember go ahead make my day from that point on is part of the culture zeitgeist yeah I mean because you know Dirty Harry sets him up as a guy who is tired of the shackles of the law Magnum Force by the way if you haven't seen it is a great role 
role reversal where he actually understands and the great catchphrase in that entire movie is a man's got to know his limitations <laughs> where it's he understands that you know police can't engage in vigilante justice right it, it is be, it becomes subversive to the original character where we realize that there are certain boundaries that Harry won't cross and I also want to talk about it too because it's really important along with John Milius writing the screenplay there's somebody else that actually is the co-screenwriter in that and it becomes important for the history of cinema it's Michael Cimino oh, really? who does a really good job writing the script and in doing so Clint then hires him to do Thunderbolt and Lightfoot which hmm. sets us on the road to Deer Hunter which sets us on the road to Heaven's Gate which ends the auteur theory of the <laughs> 70s really cool we're not going to allow this anymore really cool yeah. foundation for what happens in Hollywood in the 70s can kind of be tracked uh, through both the screenplay work of both John Milius who would later go on to make sure that Jaws kind of comes together nicely along with Apocalypse Now, but also sets into motion the end of the auteur. The other one, speaking of auteurs who then move into marketing geniuses, is American Graffiti. Sure. I There we and go. For all kinds of reasons. Up, uh, up, and away. I there think what goes. I wrote you was, this is, what, this is what, no, it's uh, George Lucas. Oh, that's what I meant. Sorry. Well, yeah. Okay. But what's really fun about it. Like two sides of a coin, of a bearded coin. Two sides of a bearded <laughs> coin, absolutely, because this is this is ground zero. This opens the door for everything else. Sure. This, We're about to— This yeah. solidifies his relationship with Coppola, who has to save the movie, even after it's made and completed. That's a great story that we'll tell when we do the episode. Um, but the other thing about American Graffiti is that it harkens back to something that I've been doing for a living. At the center of American Graffiti, the thing that holds it all together— is that remarkable music that plays nonstop throughout, and the music is never played underscored. It's all played on the radio and right. all curated by the by Wolfman Wolf, Jack. By the Wolfman Jack, <laughs> and I'm really, really excited to talk about that because the joke I make in the notes I sent you was: this is what happens when a gearhead and an anthropologist make a movie, and they hmm. happen to be the same person. Right. Because in many ways, much like. Uh, the work on The Exorcist and the French Connection, Lucas's work in American Graffiti, for all its nostalgia, for all its glow, feels very documentary-like. And it is the reason that Alec Guinness signs up for Star Wars, because he thinks it's a charming, well-made movie, and he figures, despite the silliness of the script, that the man who made American Graffiti might be able to make something of this. So I'm really excited about those two movies, and also the history of radio that goes on in it, and maybe we'll get Dave Nemo to call in that day on Cargo Cult and see what he has to say about it. And uh, American Graffiti-wise, I mean, you know, that's the beginning of one of our major American stars. That's that's the the creation of Harrison Ford. It is, really, one way or the and other. An accident. And an accidental. And act completely accidental and George Lucas did not want somebody from one movie to the next but that's what brought him in to become the you know the myth the legend that is Han Solo and move on to Indiana Jones and everything else that Harrison Ford has become and George, this, like, Blade can, Runner yeah. all of that he's the creation George you can write this shit but nobody can say it <laughs> Uh, we're going to uh, ask our friend Russell here, who is joining us. Um, uh, so you've got the list. You've seen the the, the list. And uh, we were talking about this before we even started recording. You, um, by the way, have films that we just enjoy, despite the fact that um, in many ways that they are incredibly cheesy now, but they've been actually transformed into other cultural zeitgeist. For sure. And uh, for very, very different reasons. And I thoroughly enjoyed reading the list but 73 also an important year for me 
uh, you know, do, do, do. for the same reason. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We're getting old. We were talking about all our upcoming medical procedures earlier, as one He's does. getting old. I'm, <laughs> oh, I see. I'm, I'm Peter painting this shit for another Fantastic. Years, we got Benjamin least. Button over there. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I'm just coming in Explains the memory own. loss, at least. There we go. <laughs> that being said, I, I am thoroughly planned for diapers, which brings me to Costco, a great place to get diapers, but also a new product called Soylent, uh, which is wow. some kind of <laughs> energy drink, which brings me to Soylent Green from this list. Uh, I really want to revisit that for that reason. I was reminded of it at Costco, but also Westworld, which has become this cultural phenomenon and uh, wanted to revisit the movie. And I can't wait to watch it again and talk about it with you guys. I think it's great. Another Sunlight uh, horror film. And I have to tell you, and I wrote this in my notes as well. um, for a long time, you know how people, when they see a horror movie, are convinced, you know, when I saw Silence of the Lambs, uh, the scene where Anthony Hopkins is beating the uh, policeman to death with the billy club. Sure. And his kind of calmness. To the it, Mozart. I have to tell you, it it stayed with me and haunted me for a long time. Uh, there have been a couple, five or six other moments in horror movies that have done that. One of them is Draw. Right. <laughs> when, when all of they, a sudden when the James Brolin and, and Richard Benjamin yeah. walk outside into the street and then he says, I'm shot. I'm 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 shot. And that moment. Uh, I yeah. Remember. When one of your main heroes just and boy, gone. boy, Crichton, who also this um, is the beginning of Crichton. Too, I mean, this, you know? is, well, this well, is, which is really his, his. Well, the Andromeda strain. No, but this I, is yeah. Him, this is him. really where it hits, though. Yeah, this you is know? this, this is, is where, where he's not just him. a guy who got his book bought by Robert Watts. This sure. is where he becomes because he's the director of it as well. Right, right, right. I mean, and, yeah. and by the way, there's no book Westworld. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. A screenplay this is a, yeah, that gets made a into it. Original creation. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because one of the other fun things, because you've opened the door with this, Russ, and it's a terrific thing to remember um, in talking about the Westworld and the zeitgeist that becomes Westworld, particularly the first uh, season, which is just dazzling. We are going to be spending some time, as we say, crossing the membrane, uh, going from 73 to the present day a lot of times, talking about the antecedents and all of that kind of stuff that kind of plays its way through. Um, along with stuff like Westworld, we're going to be talking about some contemporary television shows. And one we're going to dig into, and we're going to have separate episodes, bonus content, as it were, dedicated to something we saw, uh, all of us saw last weekend, which was, of course, uh, the video game adaptation. Um, the HBO series that has been turned, uh, the video game that's been turned into an HBO series of The Last of Us, right. which we all saw the debut for. Uh, just a week or so ago. And it is a, it's the video game. As a person who's a gamer, you're talking to a gamer. But it's more than that, too, because I'm a person who's always been very disappointed with the way video games have been translated. Uh, You can make a case that the only good video game movie, you can make a case, is the first hour of Silent Hill. And then the whole Hmm. thing goes off the rails because they don't know what to do next. They, they, this one seems to know what to do next. And we're going to find out and it seems well. You, I'm sorry. I stand corrected. You could also make a case that The Witcher is pretty damn good. That the the first season, in particular, of The Witcher. But then again, it's a bit confusing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But then again, it's not bad. But but, but it's you have a to, little all over if the place. You know, yeah. Here's the thing: is if you if you know the video game The Witcher, then it's a complete and total delight. And for those who don't, it's a game of catch up that they eventually catch sure. up to. But watching The Last of Us, the I felt of, like I was I was 
introduced, that it was okay that I had no information about the video game, that I didn't know anything about it. Uh, It it really just gave it to me. And I'm a huge fan of dystopian novels. I I love an apocalyptic world. I love, you know, society has has fallen upon these times. And, And I'm a big proponent of how do you do things like zombies different? Because having made zombie movies, being a connoisseur of zombie movies, fungal zombies, you know, that that that's just uh, um, such a wonderful little subgenre of the entire undead or, or, or zombie idea. It, it was just a lot of fun. And, and mainly what these people's real conflict with right now uh, is one another. That's kind of one of the things that uh, Walking Dead kind of shifts into is that it's called survivor horror in – the comic book, you know, and while the zombies are a problem, it's really other human beings <laughs> that are creating most of your misery and your conflicts, you know. And one of the things I'm really excited to talk about um, when we talk about The Last of Us is why I think the adaptation is so successful. Why, the game is brilliant, and there is a reason why it's one of the most celebrated games of all time, which is why I was so disappointed with the movie of Uncharted. Um because Uncharted is that much fun, and I, I sure. thought that in regards to kind of catching the spirit of Nathan Drake, I thought that Tom Holland did a good job. I just felt like the pro- it was kind of a national treasure movie. The problem yeah. with it in in watching it was that it dawned on me about halfway through the movie, I'm like, this needed to be a series. And I think I have a theory as to why. But we'll talk about that on the first bonus episode of uh, Cargo Cult, which will be the first episode of The Last of Us. Uh, We're looking forward to American Graffiti and Magnum Force and, of course, The Exorcist and Papillon and Soylent Green, uh, along with uh, Westworld. But, guys, don't forget, there are other movies like Disney's Robin Hood, Walking Tall, Serpico, Jesus Christ Superstar. Mean Streets. Mean mean Streets. Badlands the, is one of my the favorites. The first time we encounter Terrence Malick or Martin Scorsese on a large canvas is 1973. It's an important year for movies. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And two people who I care a whole great deal about were born that year. So let's have a little bit of celebration. Let's head on back to 1973 where you will find not only these wonderful movies but also cargo cults. You can find us, by the way, on the uh, Sirius XM app, channel 146, Road Dog Trucking. This is Radio Nemo of North America and we will talk at you later. Thanks for listening. If you've got questions, topic ideas, or movie suggestions, send us an email at weekends at radionemo.com. Write in and tell us your trucking handle, what kind of work you do, and why you chose the profession. We'd love to hear from you. You can also find out more about what we do at RadioNemo.com. Cargo Cold is hosted by Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn. Studio manager is Sasha Gianzen. And produced by me, Nick DeMeo. If you've heard the call to adventure, you've probably heard Cargo Cold.